0: Good morning to all of you. If you'd like to follow along, please open your Bibles. I would like to read from the very familiar and traditional text for Christmas found in the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 2, and we'll read together the first 20 verses of Luke, chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. In a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Throughout the centuries, songwriters, artists have tried to capture both in words and in pictures what the birth of Jesus looked like nearly 2,000 years ago but it is the gospel writers both Matthew and Luke that really provide for us a narrative and a better glimpse of what it was really like in what they have revealed through the scriptures and certainly much of what transpired then is is unknown and, and can't really be known but there's one thing that is very evident as we look at those narratives as we read these accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ. And that is that at that time, there was a, a lot of angelic activity, we might say, surrounding the birth of Jesus. And that began with um, the angel Gabriel appearing before Zacharias in the temple as he told him that in his old age and, and his wife, who was past the age of bearing a child, that they would have a child, that they would have a son. And, and then the same angel appeared to Mary and told her that as a virgin, she would bear a child who would be the Son of God. And we know that the angel also appeared to Joseph in a dream, and, um, probably to calm this, this very difficult circumstance and situation that he found himself in, to reveal to him that this child that his espoused wife was going to bear was actually the Son of God and, and told him who what his name would be. But then, in a sense, there was what we have read here this morning, what what I would almost call, as, as we would think of it in, in terms of, of these days, a, a grand finale of angelic activity that took place there in Bethlehem, outside the outskirts of Bethlehem, in the fields where shepherds, as we have read together, were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And... It is that scene that, that with God's help, I would like us to focus our attention on this morning, what really took place there in that field, primarily, and what was the message that was given to these shepherds. Really, as we look throughout the entire scripture, I think it would be safe to say that um, in light of Numerous appearances of, of heavenly beings, angelic beings, of, of God in, in, in a form appearing before man that none of them can compare with what took place. And neither should it, for this was, in fact, in many senses of the word, uh, the greatest um, event, one of the most greatest events that would ever take place upon the earth. And as we consider even the um, heavenly beings that, that appeared before Abraham. And then with Moses and, and the, the fiery um, burning bush and, and, and God's presence that he could not obviously look upon. And others in scripture, uh, the prophet Elijah being taken up into heaven in a flaming chariot. And then moving ahead, even the transfiguration on on the mountain when when um, Jesus was there and and Moses and um <laughs> it escapes me for a bit uh appeared before the disciples. Um, Peter, James, and John, and, and what a glorious event that was. And, and even moving ahead further, we know that, that there were angels at the tomb uh, that, that, that struck the soldiers dead and rolled the stone away, and, and what a magnificent scene that must have been. And there were others. But what can compare to probably what the Bible is describing for us here of what took place there in that field on that night? So why them? Why these shepherds? Why were they chosen to to be the ones that would experience such a, a, a miraculous and, and tremendous and, and and indescribable? I'm sure it, it, you know, the scriptures fail, words fail to really describe what took place, and and why did God choose these shepherds to experience this? This incredible display of not only the majesty, but also the glory of God. Why were they the ones to be the first to hear that joyful news? Why were they, apart from Mary and Joseph, to be the ones that were the first to look upon the face of Jesus Christ? It hardly made sense. These shepherds were, you know, in in today's world, we we would call them nobodies. They were the lowest of the low. They were uh, sort of the, you know, this is the bottom. uh, People that were uh, um, delegated to watch sheep. It wasn't much of a profession. In fact, um, rabbinical law stated that traditionally, that the shepherds were of such low stature that even their testimony in a court of law was not regarded as being credible. So these were certainly not only the poorest of the poor, but the lowest of the low, and yet it is to them that God chose to bring this message and to be the ones to witness this, um, this miraculous event. And then considering that, that when it had passed, they would go back to where they had come from, back into the fields watching their sheep. And yet, as history has unfolded, we see that what they experienced and what they witnessed and what they heard and what happened there that night, their story, has resounded down through the centuries and their story continues and the message, the words that they spoke is being repeated over and over again as it has been this morning. Their testimony lives on. So why them? Why were the one, they were the ones to, to be able to experience that? And, and in a sense, I think it's, it's clear because it's how they responded. What was their reaction to, to all of this? And we know that that they were there and they saw this. They witnessed it. They heard with their own ears. This wasn't a dream. You know, they were watching their sheep. That was their job, to watch the sheep at night. It's not like they were sleeping on the job. No, they were wide awake. And they, they saw this, this display of majesty and glory. They heard with their own ears what the angel said and, and what the angels sang. And, and clearly, based on what we read here, we, we can see that they believed it. They, they didn't just dismiss it and say, oh, that's ridiculous, let's forget about this. No, they believed it. They, they, they went to see what had been declared. And then moving on, we know that they also proclaimed this to others. And they, they were praising God for this incredible experience that they were made. And, and so we can see in all of that that they were receptive. And that is really the key for all of us that are here this morning and for all mankind. And the question that we need to answer, are we receptive? Are we receptive to be able to receive this gift from God. To receive the message that has come from God. Do we have, perhaps as they did, the humility to receive that? Because, yeah, they were just humble, lowly shepherds. But the Bible tells us very clearly that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And much grace was given to these shepherds. The greatest grace that they received. And could witness with their own eyes the gift of God that was given to them. Years later, the apostle Paul, as he was proclaiming the gospel and recognized the reality of, of who it was in the world back then, as it had been before, as it is today, is receptive to the gospel. To Jesus Christ, to what God is offering and what he wants to give to the world. He wrote in Corinthians, God hath not chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the, but God, sorry, let me begin over again. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. God is looking for the humble heart, that humble individual that will be receptive to the gift that he wants to give, the gift that is ours through Jesus Christ. So let's consider the message that the angel gave to these lowly shepherds. Because angels are messengers of God, and they had been sent by God. Was this also Gabriel? It very well likely was, this angel that appeared to them and proclaimed this message. But whoever he was, he was a messenger from God, and he came and he brought the the greatest message The most glorious and and wonderful message that has ever been proclaimed upon the the face of the earth. And so this morning, loved ones, are you, am I also receptive to these very same words that were proclaimed 2,000 years ago? So let's look at what the angel said. He didn't say a whole lot. But what he said was so important, not only for the shepherds. But as we will see for all those that, that will be receptive, all those that will humble themselves before, under, as the Bible says, under the mighty hand of God, in order that, that we can be lifted up, that we can be exalted into the heavenly places that God wants and has foreordained for us. And so we see that the very first thing that the angel says is, is Fear not. Well, of course, these shepherds, they must have been terrified at at what happened here. They'd never experienced anything like it. And and no doubt fell to the ground and and were were terrified and and shaking, as we would say today, shaking in their boots at at what was going on here. And so to calm that that fear and and terror that must have been on their minds and, and thinking... The angel first of all says, fear not to them. And those were the very same words that, that the angel spoke to Zacharias as he did to, to Mary as well and to Joseph and now to the shepherds. And, and those words, and, and you can look it up, fear not or variations of that are among the most common phrases in the Bible because God as to the shepherds for that situation, but to all of us today as well, wants us not to be afraid. And you know, the Bible tells us, and this is really relevant as we consider that that first of all, the angel needed to calm their hearts, calm their their, their spirits, and, and and the fear that that obviously had overtaken them, so that they could receive the rest of the message that that was given. God also today. Wants to calm our hearts. This scripture is probably as relevant um, today in the time that you and I live in as it has ever been or ever will be. Where we could read in the Bible that in the last days, men's hearts will be failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And this is the day and age that that you and I are living in and experiencing. People that are living in fear, fearful, uh, and and going through life with a tremendous fear that is driving the way they live and the way they think, and largely because they have not been receptive to what God wants to give to all those that will hear him when he says, don't be afraid and don't fear. All those that, that really understand what the Bible means when it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he wants us to be able to go through life um, as the scriptures say, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We don't need to be afraid. Brothers and sisters and, and friends alike, if we look to God, we don't need to be afraid. Sure, there's there's uncertainty, and there's unknown, and more of that we facing us in the coming days and weeks, probably months. But we don't need to be afraid. Because the scriptures remind us over and over again that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I um, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Fear not, Isaiah writes, on behalf of God, for I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the with the right hand of my righteousness. And beloved, as we we go forward, may we go forward with this promise that God has given to us. And the message that went out to the angels, or uh, from the angels to these shepherds, is the message that God wants to give us today. Fear not; don't be afraid. I'm with you. The angel went on to say, I bring you good tidings of great joy. In other words, I bring you good news. And that is none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that has resounded from this time down through the centuries, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son born of a virgin into this world. God gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God incarnate, so that all those that would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And John goes on to write that he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, would be saved can be saved and we know that's why Jesus came that is the gospel that is the message of christmas that is the reason for Jesus coming into this world that that we could receive this wonderful news these good tidings these glad tidings that that we would be able to know that this is a gift from God. This is the grace of God. The Bible says in another um, scriptures, "For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He left everything in heaven and came to earth in in the lowest of circumstances, in in poverty." so that we could enjoy the riches of his grace and and the blessing of salvation and, and this wonderful gift. He left all of his riches and became poor so that we could become rich in Christ. Years later, he said, Jesus said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's God's greatest joy. Uh, you know, when the angel said here, I bring you good tidings of great joy. This was not only great joy for them, something that they should be and could be joyful in, but this was something that brings joy to the, the heart of God, to, to God himself, where it says here that, that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Nothing is more pleasing to God, nothing gives him greater pleasure than for, for mankind to receive this gift of love and grace and to receive Jesus Christ as, as Savior and, and, and to become part of this kingdom, to become a citizen of the kingdom of, of God. And that's why we sang even this morning, and we sing at Christmas time, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Is there room in your heart, my friend, this morning, to receive this king of kings, to receive this, this gospel message, this good news, these glad tidings? Will you be receptive and receive Jesus Christ, into your heart, into your life, and make him your Savior and your Lord as well. Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, to all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him. It's an open invitation to all that will receive it, that are receptive, whose hearts are, are open to this. And we know that that the Bible tells us that Jesus came first to his own, but his own did not receive them. Many of the, of the Jewish people rejected him. But then he went on to say that but as many as received him, to them gave he the power To become the children of God. And and another rendering of that is. To them. Those that received him. To them gave he the right. The opportunity. To become a child of God. To become a follower of him. And so to whom is this um, invitation. It's to all that will receive it. It's to all that, that will embrace it. And. The Bible tells us that not only is it God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, it's also not his will that any would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. That's his desire, and it's for that reason that he sent Jesus Christ into this world. And he is no respecter of person. Peter needed to learn that many years later when he thought that somehow this Messiah was only for the Jewish people. And yet, even during Jesus' lifetime, there were those that were not Jews that embraced this truth. But there was also, when Peter had that encounter with Cornelius, that God revealed to him As the Bible says, of a truth, Peter said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And that rings true today. In every nation, in every place, and here this morning as well. None. None that is here that has not yet experienced that is excluded. The message, the gospel message is going out to you. And if you will fear him, not in the same kind of fear that the shepherds had of, of being um, just fearful at the, the what they experienced. But as it says here that that feareth him. And, and here it means to, to stand in awe and in reverence at at this glorious event. At, at the message of Christmas. At what God was doing and, and what he was offering to the world. Those that will, will stand in awe and receive that. And, 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 and work righteousness. And, and this isn't meaning that, that, that the gospel is all about working, um, and doing good so that we can earn our favor with God. No. The righteousness of the gospel is not in the works that we can do. The Bible makes that very clear not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy and grace. We are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. The righteousness we can have comes through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And then we can put on this righteousness and and. God accepts that because it is only those that, that receive him in that way and that humble themselves in that way that can really receive the gift that he is giving. And so, as it did so many years ago, at the, as the, the scriptures conclude in Revelations, the invitation is still going out this morning to you, my friend. Whether you're sitting in these benches, joining us online, the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. It's an open invitation. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day. And this was said to the shepherds. Unto you. And and, in this case, it it, it was to them. They were alone. There was no reason for them to to turn around and and see who else was, was listening or watching. They knew who was there. It was just them. And the angel made a point to say... For unto you is born this day. It was personal in that moment to the shepherds. But the message that was given to them is a message that has been given to us. And, and the message is that this, this invitation, this good news, these glad tidings of great joy, which are to all people, are personal to us, to you. To me, to you, my friend, as well. We can almost say with certainty that these shepherds probably knew the twenty-third Psalm by heart. Why wouldn't they? They were obviously uh, Israelites, Jewish people, and and they were residing. Uh, in the vicinity, out in the fields just outside of Bethlehem, the city of David. So, of course, they would have known the 23rd Psalm, the Psalm of David, who himself was a shepherd. And the words of David, not only in the 23rd Psalm, but in other psalms as well, that clearly demonstrate that this is personal. That this was personally for them as it was for David as it is for us. This message is for us personally. The Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is our shepherd or their shepherd or somebody's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Ponder that for a moment, loved ones. Let that really sink in. That this message and the gospel is for you. It's for me. It's for us personally. And God wants us to receive it personally. And understand that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my strength. All of these is what God wants to be for you and me in a very personal way. In this moment, at this time, in whatever we are going through, whatever we are enduring or going to face, He wants to be our shepherd. He wants to be our portion. He wants to be our rock, our salvation. And he wants to be the strength for us. For as he said in Psalm 28, the Lord is your salvation and strength. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts And with my song, I shall thank him. And let us this morning, come what may, let us thank God that he is all of these things and he is it to us in a very personal way in every circumstance of life. Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day. And here is the good news. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. First and perhaps foremost, he says a Savior. And a Savior is one who saves. And many years later, John writes and he says, and we have seen and do testify, and and he could say that with our own eyes, we have seen this and we testify, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. To be the one that would save the world. And, And the message that was given to Joseph, to calm his, his fearful heart was that she, Mary, shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Save his people, those that are receptive, those that will receive it from their sins, from the from the guilt of sin, from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin. And, and just as the, the snow outside has blanketed the earth and, and covered up the, the filth and the dirt that, that was just there yesterday and makes everything look so fresh and, and white and clean, the Bible reminds us that though our sins would be as, as red, as crimson, they shall be as white as wool and as white as snow. Clean, fresh, pure, because the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he came to make, to be the savior of the world, will and does accomplish that for us. And John, John the Baptist, as he carried out his ministry and as Jesus came to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, and John saw him approaching, and there was another voice from heaven, an angelic voice, and John proclaimed and he said, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And he spoke prophetically about the sacrifice that Jesus would make. And then we, we read here that the, the shepherds, they they said, come, let us go. And so they, they left their sheep there in the field. And this is probably interesting. And again, I'm, Maybe this is a little bit of conjecture, but probably accurate. Bethlehem was just a few kilometers south of Jerusalem. South of, of that city of God, that, that city where, where so many would, would flock to. And, and the temple, the magnificent temple that Herod had rebuilt to, to gain some favor with the Jews. A place where, where there were sacrifices. And in all likelihood, the very sheep and lambs that these shepherds were tending and watching and taking care of, and now for a few hours perhaps had left there in the field, were the very ones that would be destined to be taken to Jerusalem, to be among the sheep and the lambs that would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. But in doing so, they went to behold the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the world. They went there to see what would become the ultimate and also the final sacrifice that would eliminate the need for any further sacrificing of sheep and lambs because he was the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And he was that perfect sacrifice that would would make it so that that no other sacrifice, that was not sufficient, could never take away the sin completely or satisfy the justice and the wrath of God. It was the Lamb of God alone that could do that. And they went there to behold that. And to recognize, as the angel said, not only that he was a savior, but also which is Christ. And Christ is just the Greek word for, for Messiah. And so as they would, would have heard this, what they would have heard that this is the Messiah. They were being told that this is the Messiah. The long-awaited one. The anointed one. The one that the Jews, the king, that they were expecting. And, and the one that would be their deliverer. And while they may not have, and certainly did not understand and comprehend what that was all about. The message to them was, this is the one. And, and certainly it must have been confusing. A baby? A king? Bethlehem? Stable? It didn't make sense. But it was true. The message the angel gave was that this was the Christ. This was the Messiah. And then he goes on to say, the Lord. And this is key. This is extremely important that we pause for a moment in those two words. Because this really was a proclamation that this child is God. This child is God incarnate. This child is God come in the flesh. As Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. This is different. This is not just a prophet. This is not just a great teacher. This is none other than God come in the flesh to dwell among us. And years later, as as Jesus lived and and then died and and was resurrected and, and, and then appeared to his disciples, and last of his disciples, he appeared to Thomas, who couldn't believe it. And said that unless I put my hand in in his, uh, touch his his hand where the the nail print was and and put my hand in his side, I can't believe it. And then Jesus was there. And, and, And witnessing that, he said, my Lord, my God. For the angels to say, a Savior, which is Christ, the Lord, they were saying, he is God. This child is God and can be seen as no other. And so the question is, is he, is he the Savior of your soul? And is he also the Lord of your life? The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ himself. Is he your Savior and is he your Lord? Wrapping it up here. The angels, um, we know at this point, the, the sky exploded. Was it something that only the shepherds saw? Was it something that others could observe? We don't know for sure, but certainly they saw it because the Bible says that, that suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and, and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill, men. Another rendering says that on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased, those who are receptive, those who are ready and willing to receive it. The peace that many are looking for didn't come. Didn't come to the world that Jesus was born into. Didn't come to his early followers didn't come to the nations that rose and fall as his kingdom continued to stand. Because the kingdom that he established and the peace that he was offering was not the kind of peace that, that he wanted to give. It was a different kind of peace. And it was a kind of peace that every one of us can have. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of, of all the things That we can experience in life. And as he closed his ministry. He offered this peace. Not only to his disciples. But he also offered it to you and I. And this is the peace on earth. That is given. That is being offered to be given. To all those that will receive it. That will be receptive. When he said peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. Because the peace of God is one that passes all understanding. And it will, and it can, and it does keep our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Beloved, let's hang on to that. My friend, if you don't have it as grace has experienced it you too can experience the grace of god the forgiveness of god and the peace of god because it's freely offered yet today to all of us i'd like to to conclude the message this morning with the words of a song just we sing it and we'll sing it a little bit later after the after the choir sings their numbers it's really a prayer, and a prayer that I hope is, um, is really on our hearts, that as we have been taken this morning to experience with the shepherds the that wonderful and glorious event of not only the angel and his message, but the heavenly host, that, that all of this would also cause us to bring praise and glory and honor to God for this incredible and wonderful gift that he has given to us a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Would you pray in your heart these words from the depth of your heart and mean them in their entirety? O Lord, how shall we meet thee? How shall we welcome thee aright? Our spirits long to greet thee. O thou, our hearts delight. Grant thou that we may know thee, and filled with thy true grace, may our souls truly, truly own thee, and worthily give praise. Glory to God in the highest. Amen.